KubeCon is the annual conference for the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Ned and I went, and in this episode of Day 2 Cloud, we share our impressions of the event, the big ideas that were shared, and thoughts on a few of the very many vendors that we spoke to. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, part of the Packet Pushers family of podcasts. On Day 2 Cloud, we have a frank discussion of what happens when cloud stops being polite and starts getting real. I am your co-host, Ethan Banks, at EC Banks on Twitter. With me is Ned Bellavance at Ned1313. Ned, here we are in San Diego where the weather has absolutely sucked, I must say. <laughs> <It's> terrible. <laughs> Everything I heard about San Diego is a lie. It's, it's really <laughs> odd because... It's, it's, I mean, who wants to talk about the weather, right? But it is, is notable in that you expect sunshine, Southern California, and it's been raining and windy to the point of, I thought a jet was going by. No, it was the wind. I thought we were in Florida during hurricane season, <laughs> like, to be honest. <laughs> that just does not sound right at all. Well, Ned, let's dive into this uh, discussion here. Now, KubeCon, I was coming thinking this was primarily about Kubernetes, and I guess it is, but... The way I look at this event, having you know spent a couple of days here now, it's really the Cloud Native Computing Foundation's big conference to come out, wave the flag, uh, tell everybody what's going on, and it's really an, an ecosystem that they've built up, uh, the star of the show being Kubernetes. Right, but yes, there's a whole bunch of moving parts that dance around Kubernetes uh, to augment it and, and build it out. The actual conference is KubeCon Cloud Native Computing Foundation Con. Yes. It's, which, I mean, not great from a naming perspective. They didn't uh, knock it's it out of the long. park. It's a bit long. It's a little clunky. Um, but I think the reason they did that is because they wanted to accentuate the fact this is not just about Kubernetes. It's about all the things that are part of the CNCF both in incubation and the projects that have graduated. And, and to stress that, I mean, you, you as a listener might care about this because these are all open source projects that are actively under development, used by some of the very largest companies and computing infrastructures in the world. And they're all here. Lyft is presenting and Spotify is prevent, uh, presenting and Google Cloud is here and, you know, and, and on and on and on the list goes. Mm -hmm. So, again, these are all technologies that you could use today if you had a reason Although I don't know most of us have a reason, Ned. Most of us are not Uber or Lyft or Google or Netflix or any of those cloud mega scale type businesses that do have these dis complex distributed computing requirements that also need to be well instrumented and monitored and secured. Observable. Observable. Yeah. Keep hearing that word. That's... Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't know how you feel Ned. I mean, both of us, I think come from a little more traditional enterprise uh, kind of roles, you know, networking and security and so on. And we, we've dabbled in cloud and well, you've, you've done more than dabble for I've, sure. I've dabbled. We've you've, gone on a few dates. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> I might put a ring on it. I don't know. But I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here and, and you and I, we, we've talked offline and kind of had the same experiences. We listened to some of the vendors talk to us and hear some of the presentations we've sat in kind of feel like a fish out of water like what are these people even talking about it's like i hear the words i know those are those are english words i know them but strung together in this way they lack meaning for me why am i so lost the good news is everybody's lost and we're all trying to find a destination together that's the impression yeah. I've gotten from everyone I've talked to. I'm like, are you completely lost? I'm completely lost. And they're like, yes. I have heard this too. It <laughs> Hold just my ju hand. Just walking through the hallway, <laughs> different people would be talking to one another going, 
you're using the blah blah to solve the, this problem. Well, I'm using this. Are you using that project? I'm like, what is that project? What are you even talking about? I'll just overhearing that conversation on the way by where someone's talking about some tool that someone else is like never even heard of it, has no sense of what it does. So I don't feel too bad in that sense. Right. And I think one of the important things to highlight is that last year's attendance to this conference was 7,000 people. This year it was 12,000. That's right. That 7,000 number, I believe, um, if if I got the year right, it was last year. It was a 2018 podcast that the Kubernetes folks were uh, talking through 7,000 as attendance. And this year they gave us in one of the newsletters, right, 12,000. So, I mean, the interest in the IT community is huge. But I got to think it's a lot of people like you and I, Ned, that are like, all right, it's time. Everyone's talking about Kubernetes. The vendors will shut up about it. So let's go figure out what this thing's all about. Yeah, and the vendors, over 200 vendors. This is not you know, one small expo floor that you can walk in a few minutes. I basically spent half the conference walking the expo floor being like, I've never heard of that company. I've never heard of that company over and over and just walking up to them and being like, what do you do? Well, in fairness though, I mean, if you and I are more infrastructure and operations focused, I think a lot of the vendors that are here are more developer focused. Do you think that's reasonable? I think that's certainly part of it. Uh, But some of the vendors that I talked to that were not, necessarily development focused that were more infrastructure focused were also net new to me. Mm. So one of the vendors I was talking to was trying to do multi-cloud orchestration of Kubernetes platforms. And I'd never heard of them because yes, they're trying to do an infrastructure kind of thing, but they're well outside of the wheelhouse of someone who's just trying to manage their data center internally. Yeah. And, and that, that I think is, is a common theme for, for many of the vendors and the problems that they're solving. It It's, you get into working in the cloud native world, you're doing things in a different way, you have different operational problems, and now you've got a unique new problem to solve because of this environment you've created. And hi, we're here to solve this problem. So those of us that have never run into that problem before are going, you solved what problem I didn't know I had? Uh, So I'll I'll give you an example of a a recurring theme that came up uh, that stuck out to me, Ned, and that is, well, observability. Um, And one of the specific themes there was, Tracing or distributed tracing. That is, if you've gone and refactored your app, to use that term, another term that keeps coming up, but you've refactored your monolithic app and now it's microservices. If you're troubleshooting a problem, there's a performance problem, let's say. It's a gray failure. Things are working, but it's slow. How do you figure that out? When Instead, it used to be you'd look at the server the monolith was on and discover that it's CPU bound or whatever the issue is. And, and fix it, right? Most of us hardware nerds know how to deal with that problem. But what happens when you're in, uh, you got a bunch of containers that are deployed as microservices and they're all talking to each other across the network and there's a series of calls that have to happen between all of these different microservices to complete a single transaction that used to happen on a monolith among a few daemons on a single box, let's say. Mm-hmm. Well, tracing is an answer to that, but it's a complicated problem to solve as several of the folks we talked to about this get, get into. Yes, that's absolutely the case. And going hand-in-hand hand with observability was connectivity. That's also a big theme that I that seemed to be recurring amongst all the vendors is to, to take that same idea of you had the monolith, and that was a traditional-type application that all the communication was happening across the local server. So it just had to ride the, the CPU bus to talk between different services. Now you've broken all those services up and they're not talking over the CPU. They're talking across 
the TCP IP network that is bonding them together. It's always the network. Oh, it's always the so, network. Well, and there's two components to that, right? So we've got the network that is IP addressing, and there's maybe an overlay in certain circumstances. Um, okay, that's fine. Uh, and we all are familiar with network connectivity, not maybe being all these different chunks in the middle of a transaction. You know, the, that that's all happening, but how do we get to that actually happening. Well, there was a service discovery process, meaning DNS. And so DNS was another recurring theme as being critically mm -hmm. important to operating in a cloud-native microservices kind of environment. And, and there's a bunch of presentations about how core DNS, another one of the CNCF uh, core projects, supports Kubernetes. And it is heavily reliant uh, or depended upon for Kubernetes to function properly so that you can discover services so that the microservices know where to go to talk to each other to get the answers they need so that you can complete a transaction. Yes. <laughs> it's insane. And then how do you build that bridge between all of these different services and make sure that messages are reliably delivered between them? Yeah. and discovered and secured properly. And then we started, that's how we started getting into the service mesh conversation. Oh gosh. And we talked to yes. four different or four or five different vendors that all had some story to do with service mesh. So one being yet another core project of the CNCF, that's Istio. Um, back when data knots was a thing, we did a show on Istio and then on Envoy, which is... Um, Istio is the control plane of the service mesh. Envoy would be one of the, like the data plane, you know, the sidecar proxy that's handling all the transactions. Right, right. Well, yeah. we talked to HashiCorp. They've got the console um, uh, service mesh. We talked to Kong. They do a ton of things, one of which is a service mesh. Right. Who am I forgetting? There was somebody else, too. Solo IO. Mm -hmm. yep. So they don't build a service mesh, but they manage other service meshes. And they've introduced the service mesh interface, which was then... Uh, officially sanctioned and adopted by teams from Microsoft and a few other cloud giants. So trying to give it some backing, some push. The idea is you may have different service mesh solutions depending on where you're running Kubernetes, but all of those service mesh solutions, if they're using SMI, will at least have a common interface that you can program against. Again, solving a problem I didn't know I had. You don't. But you might. Well, that's it, right? <laughs> so, so you come to a show like this, and you're trying to get context around all all of what's going on here. And I, I think it's it, it's kind of a mix of people. There's there's the developers that are working on the projects. There's a few of these bleeding edge companies again, like we've mentioned, Uber and Lyft and Spotify, et cetera, people mm -hmm. that are actually here presenting because they've been deeply involved in these projects to help them solve their own internal needs. Being Fairly unusual because of scale very often, just the sheer number of transactions or right. know, the regions they have to span or whatever. They're just massive and nothing out there would really do what they wanted. So they built it themselves and then contributed back to the community. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, the time series database uh, M3. We talked to the folks that uh, originally were working at Uber and they had to invent their own time series database to deal with the ridiculous billions yes. of metrics per yes. minute or something they, they, they were scoffing at millions oh your database scales to millions per second oh, oh that's so cute we do billions so yes. go shoo shoo go away you and, with your millions you, know, you bother me admittedly he said that you know what there are not many people that have this problem but that company was was uh, was chronosphere right chronosphere yeah. yes yeah i mean and again they're solving problems that most of us won't have you but know, we might scale. someday but, but, but if we do, there's been a solution built that is absolutely at massive scale. Right. So we have connectivity. That's obviously a, a key thing. 
We have monitoring another. These, these sound like problems that happen when a product is starting to mature. The third one was probably security. I heard it mentioned <sighs> multiple times in different contexts. How do we deal with just network security? We need mutual TLS, you know, throughout every connection. So, so encryption on the wire, you know, for one thing, but, but then also who am I talking to? Is this the person I'm supposed to, or is this the process identity. I'm supposed to be talking to? So yeah, yeah identity, integrating that with cloud native, you know, mm-hmm. what that identity is, is a complicated problem, especially if you're multi-cloud, how do you do that? Right. Uh, and then, you know, there's encryption in transit, there's encryption at rest, but there's also encryption at processing which is a term I've only heard once or twice before. And so there was another announcement during one of the keynotes about uh, secure enclaves within within virtualization hosts and how Kubernetes can now make use of that secure enclave to get a little portion of secured memory to store highly sensitive information so it's encrypted even while it's being computed upon. I know. So, so, so I'm laughing because there's, there's, there's that very specialized and particular and peculiar security solution times however many other ones that are out, out there. You know, we talked to Apparetto actually just, just earlier today and got a briefing from them about their solution. That's kind of a different animal. It's, it's a little bit micro-segmentation. It's a little bit encryption. It's, it's a bit of a um, uh, security keys and fingerprinting of applications. And, you know, it's a whole lot of things that I, I've actually written about in the past. I heard them at a tech field day presentation. Um, and, and then you look, and then there's even more of these little security niches that are out there. Mm-hmm. Is it niches or niches, Ned? I don't know. Um, I hear niches get stitches. So mm-hmm. we'll go with niches. Niches? Yes. <laughs> yep. Jiff or gif? Niches get fiches. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm a GIF person. I know uh-huh. technically the author said that it's GIF, but no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what what else caught your attention then? Um, a thing that I kept hearing from the development side. Um, I tend to ignore developers because they're developers, but I, I actually listened oh. up on this. One. I know I'm. They have opinions. They're humans too, mostly. Mm. Um, <laughs> so a thing that I kept hearing from them is they are being asked to do too much from a uh what they're responsible for now, do you like mean you said like, we just want to write code and not think about infrastructure and, sort and of dealing like with that. the infrastructure was too much or yeah to a certain degree they are worried that too much of the um infrastructure and security and all of those types of things are being pushed left back onto the developers and it's making it harder for them to write code and so they're pushed back to infrastructure is to say you need to make this easier and more seamless for me to consume i've got enough on my plate already i can't do everything well plus consume in the right way actually we've hit on yet another theme in all the different conversations we've had at this event and that is uh, architecture and design are crucially important and so if you're trying if you're listening to this trying to figure out where you fit into the cloud native world um some of it is going to be in figuring out these tools and how to use them and how they work and all of that stuff, just like we technologists have always done. But I think there's a, another aspect of it where you're going to take a step back and not care so much how some of this stuff works and worry more that it's been designed right. So mm-hmm. that when the developer does just consume it via whatever, a simple, simple call, a simple library, an SDK, whatever it is that's allowed them to very easily consume that infrastructure resource 
their code is going to be deployed in a way that is still good for the business, that you've thought about the resilience and you've thought about the design and you've thought about latency profiles and how to get that data to your users and so on. Uh, I think that maybe that's kind of the feeling I'm walking away with that is that is kind of going to be the the role of the infrastructure engineer going forward or a very critical role is Mm -hmm. not merely how it works and the ones and the zeros, but the how do I design this so that it works effectively? Right. You need to be able to provide that additional value to your employer to be able to kind of interpret what the developer wants into an actual architecture that meets all the other requirements for security, compliance, resilience, all uh, cost efficiency, maybe even like those are the things you actually have to worry about. Being able to swap a disk on an array is just not that useful yeah, anymore. Yeah, but you know what scares the crap out of me about this? This is a problem uh, that the networking folks have had too. What's your path from junior to line engineer to senior to architect if the expectation is that if you're working on infrastructure, you've got a really good handle on design? You don't start at design typically. Usually you start with nuts and bolts and kind of a supporting role and, you know, break fix and you kind of roll into, you know, some greenfield stuff and, you know, standing Mm -hmm. up some new things as part of a team. And eventually, you know, after you've done your time and you've been at it for 10 years, now you're an architect. I think it's more the senior engineers that are out there today that need to make this transition to the architecture. The junior admins and the junior engineers still have a place. It's not like the old stuff is going away. That's, that is still, you're still going to have VMware in your environment. You're still going to have compute in your environment. You're still going to have maybe a smaller data center, but a data center. Someone is going to need to know how to swap that drive out. But if you are a senior engineer, that's not your value anymore. But as I said, though, because if I'm a junior engineer, I just heard you say, yeah, you work on all the old crap, you know, keep that running. And the grownups are going to put on their big boy pants and excitedly run, run off into the cloud and leave you behind. Hasn't that always been the case? <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> I was a junior admin one. I didn't get to work on the cool stuff right away. They're like, no, you need to figure out how to do this, this, and that. And you need to monitor the, the backups. Tape. Swap, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get in there, buddy. Those, ta- those tapes aren't going to swap themselves. We, we can't afford one of those fancy libraries. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get the best and most awesome things when you start out in a junior position. You need to learn some of the basics and fundamentals, and then you can move up the stack. In fairness, those old skills aren't completely without value. Mm-hmm. You know, the old stuff is, sure, it might be product-specific, and maybe that specific product is becoming antiquated over time as your business that you're working for and supporting slowly moves into the cloud. But the concepts that you learn, if you learn concepts and not merely commands and clicks, there will still be value there for you to take forward into the cloud. Right. You can always learn what the new commands are. That's not super exciting, or at least it's not exciting anymore. It was exciting, you know, 15 years ago when I first, you know, started clicky, clicky, typey, typey. Now <laughs> that's less exciting. Like I do like to do that every once in a while. I find it enjoyable, but the high level conceptual stuff is the things that people are actually looking for. Can mm-hmm. you take these multiple concepts and mesh them together and come up with something that is actually usable? Well, all right. So people that are listening to us, we're, we're at, at KubeCon, Ned. And one of the things I've noticed is I've been trying to educate myself about Kubernetes, how it works, what it does. I found that it's quite complicated, but I have also found that there is a certified Kubernetes administrator program. Indeed. C- CKA. And I know you've been looking at it too. Mm-hmm. 
do you feel having talked to a lot of vendors, heard different keynotes and talks here that the certified Kubernetes administrator is an appropriate thing for an infrastructure engineer who's trying to level up with their cloud skills? Should they go after that? Yes. Why? Because they can probably go get a job that pays more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm well, just being realistic here. If there will, um, if I go get that certification today at a job that's not using Kubernetes at all, what value have I provided to them and to myself? It's not going to make me make my make me do my job better. And not as many people are running Kubernetes at all, or mm, that, even in production. That. I'm pointing at Ned. You can't see us, but I'm, I'm pointing at. But. Him. The companies that are, are desperate for people who know how to run Kubernetes. So if your goal is to advance your career, mm -hmm. not necessarily with your currently current employer, CKA probably makes a lot of sense. But the number of jobs that are out there, so, so, so we've heard this. We actually, we have another show. By the time you hear this, dear listener, um, we will have already, we have already recorded another show where we talk about some other things here that'll be coming out in a, in a, in a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah. related to what you should do with Kubernetes as related to your career. But we, we mentioned there in that recording, these salaries for people that are Kubernetes capable folks are in the very, you know, mid to mid six figures, you know, they're talking 300,000. There's been rumors of like, you can get paid half a million bucks a year if you've got Kubernetes skills. But the, the caveat here is how many of those opportunities are out there. Uh, apparently more it's, than there are engineers, but yeah, it's the laws of supply and demand. There's a lot of demand and a very limited supply. Well, I don't know about a lot of demand. And that's what that's the, this is a question mark that I have. I'm coming out of this conference going, how many businesses are going to walk away and go, Kubernetes is the thing, man. I am doing this. We are doing this as a business. We're going all in. We're going to hire people. We're going to skill up. We're going to go cloud native and DevOps. And, and I don't know. You know, so many people were in the exploratory phase based on what we heard from hallway conversations. Sure. So, I well, mean, what's, what's the volume of, those, of jobs going to be? Some of those salary tweets are somewhat apocryphal, <laughs> certain. Uh, that doesn't mean that the opportunities aren't out there. And for larger enterprises that really are in the exploratory, getting prepared to roll it into something a little more production-y, they're going to need the extra hands. A little and more so, production -y. Yeah, I mean, it's not production, it's production E. <laughs> but at, you know, as we roll forward to that, someone's going to need those skills and you know, it couldn't hurt if it's you if you feel like that's the thing that you want to take on. The other reason to do it is just if you enjoy learning more about a topic, one of the best ways to learn about that topic is try to get the certification for it. Yeah, I agree with that. And and actually that I don't know that I'll actually pursue the certification to the end. My time is hard to come by. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to set aside some time to study and I'm going to use that program as a guideline because of exactly what you said. It informs me about the things I don't know that I should know that that's mm -hmm. what there is a blueprint document. It explains to you with uh, major headers and sub points, all the, all the things that they want you to know to be able to pass this exam. So, so, okay. So here's another question for us to consider, Ned. Um, what sort of companies would really care about, Kubernetes, or another way to ask the question, why would you maybe want to come to KubeCon 2020? And I, I wrote down some thoughts in that. I'll only read them off, and then you, you tell me where you think I'm uh, right or wrong. Sure. You know, one is uh, you're a company that you want to manage containers more effectively. You, you've, you're migrating away from VMs. You're, you're really more serious about containers. The volume of them is growing. Maybe you are thinking more cloud-native kind of stuff. And 
you're looking for a way to manage those. Well, that's what Kubernetes is all about. You know, that's that's the whole point of it. Um, you want to go cloud native. That's the way you're re-architecting, and and Kubernetes is seems to be the answer. The industry is rallying around for orchestration. Um, elastic architecture, elastic infrastructure is is interesting and important to you. Well, Kubernetes can automate um, and auto scale based on demand. So, you, I mean, you can do those things in the other clouds as well without Kubernetes, of course. But maybe you know you want to deal with it in a Kubernetes way because that's what all the cool kids are doing. Um, <laughs> You could, uh, you want to perhaps re-architect your applications to better recover from failure scenarios. That is, if you assume everything's awful and something's going to break, you're trying to architect your applications so that when those awful things do break, the application survives. Okay, well, the cloud native, Kubernetes, I think that's a way to go about that. Far from the only way, but it's a way to go about that. Um, another reason you might want to come to this con is you're trying to make sense of all of the conversations that are happening. I don't. I'm less confused about all this stuff having come here, Ned, in certain ways, more confused than others because I got exposed to more stuff that I didn't know I didn't <laughs> yeah. know, which is a little disheartening. But eh, on the whole, I feel definitely better. Um, and then maybe you want to decide on a Kubernetes deployment strategy. That is, I, you could roll, your, roll it yourself, do your own Kubernetes, or Kubernetes as a service, of which there's an increasing number of offerings out there. And maybe you kind of want to make up your mind about that. This would be a good place to have those conversations and do that, I think. So I, you know, there's a lot of reasons there to to show up, um, and I think there's a lot of value that I've gotten just from you know, again, just from two days of out talking to people and so on. So all right, so tell me if I'm right or wrong here. You're wrong. Okay, <laughs> you just wanted to say that you've been waiting. <laughs> Everything you said, wrong. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ned. Okay. So the reason to come to KubeCon is for the community. So uh, many of these bullet points are are true. You don't even have purple hair or, or a hoodie. Ah, uh, that's not a prerequisite. That's it's fair. A, it's a very diverse population here. Very, I will say that is so very one true. of the things that I total aside here. Uh, one of the things I have been impressed by is that the attendees here, coming from going to like ignite and reinvent and other type things, the diversity of the attendees is, seems to be much higher. Every people from all <laughs> over the world. Um, and then the whole mix of, of the stereotypical purple hair and hoodie, you know, those kind of folks to, you know, the, the suits because everybody sees a gold rush here um, and, and they're, they're trying to get in on it. And so you've got and everybody in between. Yeah. Having that level of diversity means you have a community that has a whole bunch of different experiences, uh, opinions, and is probably looking for different answers to different problems, which means if you come to KubeCon and you're not sure about whatever, should I use Kubernetes? Is cloud native the right answer? What are all these projects, et cetera, et cetera? You not only can get some answers from the experts, you also get immersed in a community that has some of the same questions and is working through the same things. And you will make contacts with people that you can reach out to for the next year. That is very true. And one of the things I've found is everybody seems to be very willing to share the hallway track, I haven't even, just between appointments, I haven't been in the hallway track too often myself, but I've observed a ton of conversations. And you, mm -hmm. can just, you just hear words and phrases and people passing. And there, it's a lot of it is someone who seems to have a pretty good idea of what's going on, chatting with someone who's just trying to figure it all out. And, right. and they're always very friendly and interesting conversations. We're, we're so, so much at the beginning point and early in the maturity. I know the metaphor was made during the keynote that, 
enterprises are all second graders that don't know how to do anything, and they're relying on the fourth graders to help them dig out of a hole well, and the, kill zombies. The rest zombies. of the metaphor, if you're listening, was tied to Minecraft and <sighs> people at that age mentoring one another. There were a blah, lot blah, of metaphors. Yes. yes. But the thing that does hold true is we are all very early in the cycle of Kubernetes. It's only five years old as a project, which is very young. When you think about where VMware was when it was yeah. five years old, yeah, it's early days. I think everybody acknowledges that. And a lack of knowledge and, and ignorance of a topic is not frowned upon or looked down upon. It's, you don't know about this? I would love to tell you about it. And that is exciting to me as an IT professional. And it's heartening to see especially when I've been in environments where knowledge sharing was uh, very difficult and you had sort of an old guard sometimes that didn't want to share their secret sauce or they would lord it over you that they knew so much more than you. And I'm glad to not see that attitude as prevalent. Man, you reminded me of one of my very first consulting gigs. I was young and green. I was maybe 22, 23, something like that. I had gone through a Novell certification program that was uh, this consulting company had a training arm and I went through their program and they liked me well enough as a student to bring me on as a consultant once I got through the program. But man, one of the guys in there that I got to know, uh, Billy, he was this hardcore Novell guru and he never let you forget how much he knew. And if you approach the throne to ask King Billy a question because you were, you know, I was stuck on something at a customer site and needed some help. Oh man. He just, he made you, he made you humble while he told you what was going on. Kiss the ring. Oh, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. And you don't get that sense here at all. In fact, you know, the CNCF, uh, CNCF, of course, they're trying to promote Kubernetes, but they've started this thing called Kubernetes community days, Kubernetes community days.org, which is maybe the longest URL ever, but <laughs> Kubernetes community days.org. And they, they kind of pitched it as bring Kubernetes home with you. You want to have a community and share your Kubernetes knowledge. They're trying to ramp this thing up so that in metro areas all around the world, uh, people can share and talk and explain and uh, network, get to know one another. And, and as you were saying, Ned, you know, find those connections of people you can uh, provide help to or get help from. So that, that, really is a tone here of knowledge sharing, mm -hmm. mentoring, and, and helping people move into the cloud native age because it's bloody hard, man. <laughs> it's <laughs> so much going on. It's a struggle, but we all get to struggle together. And yeah. I think that's, that's what's nice about it. Yeah. We all get to struggle <laughs> together. Yeah. <laughs> the struggle is real. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Or you, actually, so I have one more Easter egg, and this is for Ed Horley. I hope you're listening, Ed. I know you are. Kubernetes. 1.16 has introduced full dual stack support for IPv4 and IPv6 in ingress and egress. You're welcome. Oh, I got to read those release notes because <laughs> if Ed's doing the same thing that I'm doing right now, questions, 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 what does that really mean? <laughs> it means they had to re rewrite large swaths of the controllers because they were written with an assumption for IPv4 and also an assumption of a single IP address per pod. That is going to be really interesting because it impacts DNS also, you know, quite substantially for service oh, they discovery. Had, uh, they had to rewrite a lot of stuff, my friend. Mm, 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 mm. Could could be an interesting topic for a later podcast. That's all I'm saying. Well, this is uh, Ethan Banks along with Ned Balavance. We're here in San Diego at KubeCon. We're going to wrap it up and go out into the terrible, terrible weather that we find outside. In the show notes, we are going to leave a ton of links about how you can get started with, with Kubernetes. 
um, a, a comic that actually introduces you to it, of all things, that Google put out that's very, very good. Yeah. Um, documentation, Kelsey Towers, um, Kelsey Hightower's Kubernetes the Hard Way, a link to that. Um, how you can learn Kubernetes if you are a Pluralsight customer or a Linux Academy customer. Nigel Poulton's book, the Certified Kubernetes Administrator Program that we talked about. Um, and then resources from various uh, lightning talks and other things that Ned and I spotted uh, at the program. And a link to my book, Introducing the Azure Kubernetes Service, out December 28th. Mic drop. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Ned Bellavance bringing you the knowledge. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, thanks to you for uh, listening to us here in Day 2 Cloud. Virtual high five. If you have a suggestion for future shows, if you'd like to be on the show, hey, ping us. There's a couple ways you can do that. You can send us an email, um, day2cloudshow at packetpushers.net. You can fill out a form on Ned's website, nedinthecloud.com. We have actually heard from at least one of you who is going to be a spectacular guest, all kinds of cool things to talk about, and we want to hear from more of you. Those of you that are out there doing cloud, working on some cloud-related project, and you want to come and you're willing to talk on the show and share your knowledge with the day Two cloud community, that would be absolutely spectacular. Uh, if you'd like to support the Packet Pushers podcast network directly, you can become a member at ignition.packetpushers.net. 99 bucks a year, and Ignition gives you access to our growing library of white papers, courses, videos, and long-form articles and analysis that we don't publish anywhere else. It's only 99 bucks a year, and the big idea is, yeah, you get some extra stuff from us, and it didn't cost you very much. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.